So let's face it, managing compliance sucks. It's complicated, it's so hard to keep organized, and it requires a ton of expertise in order to survive the entire process. Welcome to Compliance Unfiltered, a podcast dedicated to making compliance suck less. Now, here's your host, Todd Cashew with Adam Goslin. Well, welcome into another edition of Compliance Unfiltered. I'm Todd Cashew, alongside the venerable compliance maestro himself, Adam Goslin. Adam, how the heck are you today? I am doing fantabulous. Fantabulous is hard to beat on a Thursday, which we are recording. Happy 2022 to uh, all the Compliance Unfiltered listeners out there. Um, We're excited to get this year kicked off, right, Adam? And uh, as part of that, we're going to get rolling here with our inaugural Compliance and Security Insights podcast. Now, uh, tell me a little bit more about this, because I understand we're, we're planning on doing this quarterly. Yep. So, um, so TCT, you know, for, for a long time, we've, uh, we've basically been uh, kind of prepping up. Uh, there's a requirement across numerous um, security and compliance standards uh, for, you know, having periodic security reminders. So today happens to be uh, in alignment with, so we, we issue like a blog article um, that, you know, that we can, you know, share with, you know, with, uh, with folks, um, and they can use that to, you know, kind of meet that periodic security and compliance, uh, reminder. And so that'd be cool to, you know, go ahead and also translate these over and into podcasts. That way, if somebody prefer to, you know, prefer to listen versus prefer to read, um, then they've got that option. So, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll be able to do some fun stuff with this. Um, it's just nice to, to be able to, to get these, you know, kind of periodic reminders out to folks, um, you know, in the, uh, you know, kind of in a, a couple of different mediums, um, because, you know, it's not only, you know, good information for them. I mean, there's so many inputs coming at everybody these days. Um, so many news feeds and news stories and, you know, and whatnot. It's nice just to kind of get a, you know, get a quarterly, you know, quarterly sanity check of, you know, of kind of what's the, what's the latest and greatest, if you will, in the, you know, security and compliance arena. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess the question that a lot of folks are probably thinking about is, is what are the format? Uh, what does the format of, of these types of uh, security and compliance insight podcasts look like? So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do uh, kind of in three phases. Uh, first, some type of a highlight of a relevant reminder regarding some security and compliance topic. Uh, and then from there, we will... Uh, we will go ahead and uh, move on to quick tips for, you know, ways to improve your security and compliance engagements, uh, and then round it out with, uh, you know, kind of some, I don't know, highlight reel of the, you know, of the stories that came up over the prior quarter, um, you know, so that we've got some, you know, kind of near-term, real-world, you know, impacts of uh, things going on in the security and compliance spectrum. Uh, so they've got that in hand. I like that. So security reminder, our focus is going to be access control and password management. Tell me more about that. That is correct. So uh, in the world of access control and password management, you know, for for any, you know, industry standard certification, um, you certainly need to make sure that uh, that you're handling, you know, password management properly uh, and handling uh, control and in terms of access to systems, you know, and whatnot properly as well. 
Um, so it's a it's a critical part of you know kind of the the overall security compliance program. Um, so you've got a there's a couple of different things that you're you know kind of looking to looking to make sure of. You know you want to you want to handle it properly when you're uh, when you're doing things like um, having a new hire. Um, in other words, uh, you know in other words, um, you know additions to access that need to be uh, that need to be granted. Um, you also want to be able to handle things like new roles in the company. So if you've got somebody that's switching from you know maybe one internal group to another internal group, making sure that they not only you know gain the access that they need, uh, but also uh, that they've deprecated access that they no longer need, um, because there's an underlying premise in the you know in the security compliance space that you're going to allocate the uh, the access control. Uh, on a least, you know, least privileged basis. In other words, what's the least amount of access that that particular individual is entitled to or, or, or entitled to approve for and needs for what they're doing for the organization? Uh, and then finally is uh, is where you have um, someone's employment uh, employment status has ceased. Uh, you know whether that's a you know voluntary involuntary you know termination you know medical leaves and it could be a number of different causes for it. Um, but basically uh, the removal uh, of that access. So mm-hmm. with that we've got um, you, whenever you want to you know go and make one of these types of modifications, new hires or uh, access change or access removal, you know, you want to make sure that it's coming from some, someone in authorized management. Um, you know, we can't have people you know, denoting, Hey, you know, you know, I'd like to have this access today. Uh, doesn't quite work like that. So we need to have kind of those checks and balances and whatnot in place. Uh, most more often than not, it's coming through in terms of some type of like an access control request. Uh, and that ac- we want to make sure that that access control request gets basically blessed by, you know, somebody with the appropriate, Appropriate permissions um, to to be able to grant uh, grant that access. Um, another thing that'll come up when you're when you're doing access control, um, especially when you've got a you've got a request for a password change or you're you know kind of uh, doling out a new password, um, then you want to make sure that you uh, are securely uh, getting that user their initial password. Um, you know, and you also want to you know another thing that that a lot of organizations you know kind of miss if you will in terms of setting this up don't always make the first new password puppy one two three you know otherwise everybody knows what the new password is so sure. it should be a different password every time that you go dole it out uh, and then getting it to them securely and then making sure that uh, that account set up so that they have to change that password so the person that distributed that temporary password if you will doesn't know what the the individual's ongoing uh, password is um, you know, it kind of goes in line with the the overall premise that nobody should know anyone else's password within the uh, within the organization. Um, we talked about the you know kind of role changes and whatnot, making sure that you're you know not only granting um, access needed, uh, but also turning off access that no longer is. Um, you know, one challenge that I'll that'll typically see within organizations is, um, you know, especially with role changes, right? There's some type of a transitional period where you know Bob or Mary is going to continue doing their old role for a certain period of time while they can do transitions, etc. Um, but they're also starting to learn their new role, so it may be that it's appropriate to uh, you know kind of sun up their new position, uh, uh, new access needed for the new position, uh, while maintaining. The access they had, uh, you know, from the prior, 
But, you know, go ahead and put a marker in there for, you know, hey, you know, uh, Mary's going to need this access for the next 90 days while we, you know, conclude the transition. Have something that's going to pop back up and say, hey, we need to go back and double check. Is, can we shut this off for Mary at this point in the game or do we need to get another approved extension? You know, handling that appropriately um, is kind of another uh, another piece of it, um, you know, that, uh, that you want at the end of the day, this notion of, you know, kind of least privileges, it's all in an effort to limit the levels of access these folks need. Um, that way, if their user credentials happen to be, uh, you know, happen to be acquired, um, uh, then we're limiting the amount of, you know, kind of exposure that, you know, that folks will have through that process. Um, and then the last element is the, you know, the, the notion of sundowning permissions or, you know, um, access removals. Uh, we just want to make sure that uh, when that occurs, that uh, it depends on the circumstance, right? If somebody's gone and put in their two weeks notice, uh, you know, et cetera, well, now we know that at the end of that two-week period, that's when it needs to shut off. If this is a, you know, whatever, we got a zero notice, you know, uh, you know, you know, a zero notice uh, for for an employee that's leaving, um, you know, or uh, it's an involuntary, then typically what will happen is, is, you know, while that person is is being uh, is being advised that uh, of their change in, in employment status, um, mm -hmm. while that's occurring, they're in the process of, of shutting it off right then and there. You don't ever want somebody that's no longer with the organization to even have the access to be able to, you know, kind of gain access to those systems. Um, so uh, just making sure you've kind of got that buttoned up, uh, you know, buttoned up, uh, you know, through the through the process. You know, for most of the compliance standards that are out there, you know, there's requirements, you know, as you get into that operational mode of compliance that, you know, that you're, you, you know, you have these mechanisms in place for kind of governing the day by day for provisioning changes and removals. Um, but it's a, you know, most of the, the compliance uh, uh, standards will require something like a quarterly pulse check, um, go through, take a look, review your list, make sure that you don't have users that shouldn't, you know, that should no longer, you know, have that access. It's almost like your um, kind of your emergency parachute uh, as you're going through, uh, you know, kind of going through your day by day. Um, so that you can, you know, just have a, a double check, if you will, um, you know, as part of the oversight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, Adam, I think we're ready for a quick tip here. Talk to me about the importance uh, of customizing your directional compliance criteria. Sure. So, um, you know, one of the things that's kind of a struggle for a lot of organizations, um, you know, in this, this, this portion's really, you know, just some type of a, you know, generic recommendation that'll help people with their security and compliance engagements. So, you know, with certain standards like, uh, you know, like HIPAA, you know, or SOC, um, what they've got, I, I call them directional standards. So they aren't, terribly specific. So if I take the case of, of like a HIPAA as an example, in HIPAA, um, in HIPAA and in SOC, really, you know, HIPAA was really written to, to cover everybody from a, you know, a dental practice to a health system type of thing. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't get to line item level requiring, you know, uh, you know, all of this, uh, you know, ad nauseum detail about what it, how it was you were going to go ahead and meet the criteria. Um, so instead, you know, uh, certifications, standards like HIPAA, SOC 2, et cetera, you know, they'll have certain criteria that need to be met. And then it's up to the organization to 
typically through a risk-based approach to define how is it that I'm going to prove out that I'm, you know, kind of meeting, you know, meeting these criteria, you know, the, um, you know, what you want, what you want in terms of the, you know, kind of the, the ability to customize the directional compliance arena. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, you know, kind of tools out there which are, um, I, I want to almost call them like prefabricated. If you follow our recipe, then poof, you are fill in the blank compliant. And that works, that, that works as long as you want to stay within those bounds. You know, for a lot of organizations, they need to make tweaks, alterations, things along those lines. So one of the things that, uh, that we built into the, into the TCT portal is the ability to handle the HIPAAs and the SOCs of the world by allowing mm -hmm. for those tracks the organization can go in and define uh, for themselves their own kind of customized controls um, that it will go ahead and meet that criteria. And then further to for each of the customized controls to then define what are the testing steps that we're going to, you know, going to go through. So in a typical SOC style engagement, you know, mm -hmm. typically what will happen is, is the, the organization will sit down with the uh, with their assessor and kind of go through the these are the these are the controls that we put in place. These this is the way that we're assessing these controls, um, you know, and kind of get on the same page with the assessor and then have to go down kind of down the path of proving it out. So the TCT portal just allows you to uh, to kind of customize those controls for your own organization. Um, you know, as well as working with your assessor to, to define those testing steps and be able to, you know, basically bolt it all into the same system that you use for your really prescriptive standards like PCI and, uh, you know, PCI, maybe NIST 853, things along those lines. So um, it just gives them the ability to you know, handle it all within one within one tool set instead of having uh, se segregated ones uh, and mm -hmm. certainly makes their life a lot easier, especially when you've got to make tweaks or adjustments based on your business circumstances. You want to you, you want a tool that's going to allow you that flexibility. I like that a lot. I think that's a super helpful tip. So talk to me as we will at every time uh, at this point during the uh, quarterly insights podcast. Talk to me about the news, Adam. What's going on in the world of compliance today? So um, I'm going to go through. We kind of collected up, uh, you know, five different you know news stories. Uh, one of the big ones that had come out is um, is a Log4j vulnerability. Um, and so in the Log4j arena, um, it's one of the biggest vulnerabilities that they've that that's been discovered to date. Um, almost 40% of the, of all of the corporate networks, um, you know, when, when this thing came out, had this vulnerability in some capacity. Um, so log4j is typically, uh, you know, is associated with, um, you know, Unix Linux based systems, um, with that being a component that's, you know, that that's on those systems. Um, and so, um, you know, in the, you know, the average application, you know, uses today, you know, just a little bit over 500 different, you know, kind of open source components. So log4j was a fairly common one um, that was that was leveraged. And the problem was the problem with this log4j is that it allowed remote code execution um, that, you know, the attackers could run on impacted systems, etc. 
Uh, and, you know, it, when they initially released this particular vulnerability, within 24 hours of the public release of this thing, there were already 60-plus uh, variants of the original uh, vulnerability oh, wow. that people had, you know, the bad guys had gone in, coded up, etc. Um, you know, uh, Log4j kind of makes COVID look like a slow-moving virus, you know. Um, <laughs> You know, the one the one pointer that I would give to organizations is that and, and by the way, this is something that we, we didn't we didn't mention earlier on, but on the TCT site uh, under the uh, uh, under the resources uh, tab, uh, we've got uh, the uh, one for security reminders. So if these security reminders are out there. You link to the news stories and things like that. Uh, that'll be helpful for people. But with the uh, log4j vulnerability. Um, you know, it's bigger than just, hey, I need to go look at my systems because well, you could have, you know, n number of, you know, vendor systems either that you leverage, um, you know, as a service provider where they host it, or it could be, uh, you know, vendor deployed platforms, hardware, you know, hardware, software, et cetera, within the organization um, that, you know, you don't know if you've got this, you know, got this particular vulnerability on those systems or not. So it's sure. bigger than just go look at my stuff. Um, they need to look at uh, their service providers, ask them questions. They also need to look at any um, software vendors uh, that they've got uh, within the organization as well. Absolutely. So what's uh, what's going on with the ILO Bleed Rootkit right now? What's new in that realm? Sure. So, um, Isla Bleed Rootkit uh, was a was a, uh, a rootkit that's been discovered um, targeting um, HP's integrated lights up management technology, um, and so the the rootkit you know effectively uh, messes with the firmware modules and what and has the ability to wipe data off of target and infected systems. Um, these ILO modules on the uh, on the HP Enterprise servers. They have the ability to access firmware, hardware, software, operating systems. Um, so uh, the rootkit, um, you know, the rootkit when they go ahead and point it at one of these servers, it makes it so much easier for the, you know, for the bad guys to go in, uh, you know, do damage and you know, kind of be a be an ideal candidate to to try to exploit. So you know, as with you know, as with the prior ones, obviously, if, the, if we're talking about vulnerabilities on systems. You know, making sure that you're going in, checking, are you up to speed, up to date? Do you have all your patches applied? Um, you know, looking at your your sources for uh, feeds that you have within the uh, you know within the um, within your spectrum, whether it's feeds directly from vendors or you know results of phone scans and whatnot. Use all of those uh, you know various um, you know points of input that you've got. Um, to go ahead and you know, kind of get these closed out. I know when um, going back to the log four J, literally, I think the same thing came out on a Friday, and by Monday, I already had you know multiple inquiries. Hey, are you guys affected by blah 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 blah? So you know, I mean, literally, companies need to you know need to take this stuff seriously. They need to be on top of it. You don't want to be you know getting on the phone, <laughs> get on the phone with somebody and get, <laughs> log four J. What you know? So you you want to be able to uh, you know get, come in with some confidence. Yep, you know, we already checked into it. We're all good. We've checked across the board. We're clear. You know, et cetera. Then you know that's the that that's kind of the the good way to be able to go about handling that. Absolutely. So, Adam, another year. 
another batch of Microsoft bugs. Talk through the most critical and and, and the most overlooked. Sure. Um, yeah, my, Microsoft, love them. Um, so in uh, in the in the year, um, they had about a little bit over eight hundred and eighty vulnerabilities um, that they um, that they ended up patching. Um, while it's fewer than the uh, than last the the prior year, um, it is a still a high number. Um, there was an exchange vulnerability they had uh, early in the year. Um, you know, it was exploited by Hafnium, uh, which was a state-sponsored Chinese hacking organization. Um, they also had uh, a print spooler uh, vulnerability called Print Nightmare. Um, that uh, was a remotely executed bug that could be exploited by an authenticated user account gaining, you know, system level access on affected systems, allowing them to remotely execute code, et cetera. You know, the one thing about, um, you know, about Microsoft is at least there's a, there's typically a fairly steady cadence uh, with the patch Tuesday, you know, releases that they'll, you know, they'll go ahead and put out, um, you know, but the important part for, you know, again, for organizations is making sure they've got their security and, you know, security compliance, uh, you know, kind of vulnerability feeds and patch management all working in lockstep um, so that uh, they can, you know, become aware of these as, as quickly as possible. The big problem with, uh, you know, kind of the, the publicly facing, um, you know, publicly facing critical vulnerabilities is the, like, like I was telling you on the, on the log 4J, the minute this stuff is out there, I mean, they're either, you know, all over it, you know, just literally randomly scanning, you know, boxes on the internet to, to try to find boxes where they can take advantage of this, um, or they're writing variants so that they, you know, won't get picked up by, uh, you know, kind of by the uh, the, the AV uh, platforms and whatnot, and they can, you know, try to try to take advantage of it by trying to mask their, uh, you know, kind of their approach to it. Sure. No, that makes total sense. So, and in another realm. LastPass has had some issues. Talk about those. Sure. Um, so um, their their uh, automated uh, their their automated warnings uh, were uh, were linked to credential stuffing attacks. So they had some uh, recent findings at LastPass uh, of credential stuffing attacks happening. Um, so LastPass, for those that you know that that aren't aren't familiar, but it's a it's a password uh, management tool. Um, it's owned by LogMeIn. Um, you know, basically the user needs to remember, you know, one login to go get into their password management system. And then once they get in, then the rest of their usernames and passwords, um, you know, are accessible to them. You can, you know, kind of copy and paste in, you know, the information into appropriate website, et cetera. Um, so the uh, LastPass is urging um, users to use complicated master passwords for unlocking, uh, you know, unlocking it. Um, the credential stuffing attacks, it's, uh, it's where lists of usernames and passwords are used to gain access to, uh, access to user accounts through large-scale automated login requests against applications. So, you know, basically we've got, you know, we've got folks that are out there, you know, attempting to, to breach people's LastPass accounts by trying to, you know, cherry pick off, you know, easy to remember passwords. I mean, the one thing, the one thing that I, that I've been, you know, I'd recommended to, to, to folks literally for probably the better part of a decade uh, is, you know, your, your password management system, um, that should be 
the longest, ugliest, nastiest, never written anywhere or used anywhere else password that you can possibly think of. Um, so that, um, you know, so that it's, it, you know, once you get it committed to memory, well, you don't need to, you don't need to go back and try to, you know, try to remember it again. You know, it's just an act of, you know, kind of getting it committed to memory, uh, if you will. Uh, but, you know, if you can do that, it's a it's far better protection, especially when you're looking at, you know, in the early days. Actually, I was uh, I was reticent to to leverage any of the you know kind of shared platforms where you get the benefit of you know kind of having your your password management system that's web based and thereby accessible everywhere. You know, it also means it's on somebody else's system, not necessarily in your control, and you know, and 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 and, and. so you know, yeah, if you're using a if you're using an online um, you know online accessible uh, password management system yeah you definitely want to make sure that you've uh, set those passwords as, as strong as humanly possible that's a good shout now vulnerabilities in garrett like talk to me about remote attacks there okay um so uh they've there were they ended up finding some uh vulnerabilities it's uh garrett walkthrough metal detectors uh with allowing remote attacks so um, there were a couple of different, a uh, couple of different models that would basically allowed remote access, uh, it allowed remote access with the ability to execute quote malicious commands. So an example, the attacker could go in, change the sensitivity levels to, you know, ultra high. They could also, oh, turn them off. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, I could, you know, kind of cause, cause problems for people that are going through them. Uh, if I wanted to get something through the medical, metal detector, I was called a medical, <laughs> medical detector, <laughs> the uh, metal <laughs> detector, um, that it would allow people to go through with dangerous items that the whole point of, you know, of kind of doing, you know, having metal detector there is to actually detect the, you know, detect the metal. So, um, yeah, that was, uh, uh, we'll call it extremely uncool. Um, I, I think less, less a concern about somebody dialing it up to, you know, stupid high, but certainly, you know, shutting it off uh, temporarily for somebody as they're going through the metal detector. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's dangerous. Dangerous as all heck. So we got to uh, we got to get those ones uh, those ones buttoned up as well. Well, there it is. There it is, Adam. I I can't thank you enough for the time today. I think that that is going to do it for uh, this quarter's security and compliance insights podcast. And we look forward to. Uh, to regrouping next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Seth. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Compliance Unfiltered. I'm Todd Cashel. And I'm Adam Goslin. Hope we helped to get you fired up to make your compliance suck less. 